0: Blue, his and his Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 Ninth Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9 or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Now, we hope you'll join us for a study of God's word as we seek to follow him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. For reasons that vary and circumstances that vary, and relationships that vary, I dare say that everyone in this room has been there before. It's that place that you get to where because of loss or difficulty, bad news, whatever it happens to be, that you just get to a point where you aren't sure if you can put one foot in front of the other. I thought about making a list this morning of reasons why that might happen. But as I said just a moment ago, the reasons vary because of different circumstances of life, because of who we are, because relationships we have, places we go, different things we have. The reasons vary, but the reasons are legitimate and they are very real. And aren't you thankful that the Bible speaks to those times? Aren't you thankful the Scriptures do not just say everything in life is just roses and everything is just wonderful all the time. And if you're faithful, everything is just good. You think, wait a minute, isn't that what Romans 8.28 says? No, no, no. Romans 8.28 does not say all things are good for those who love God. That's not what it says. Romans 8.28 teaches us that God works together all things for His good or for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Have you ever gotten to a place where you just wondered if you could put one foot in front of the other again? There is a time when we grieve, when we go through a time of difficulty, for us just to sit, to grieve. I've heard people sometimes say just to be for a little while, and that's certainly acceptable, and it's certainly okay. But we also know there is a time where we have to begin to put one foot in front of the other again. It's not to say it's always easy. But it's just the way it is. We're calling our lesson this morning. When God's people despair. Because the scriptures speak to those times. And we are in those places. Where we are hurting. We are overwhelmed. We're sad. We're grieved. Whatever words you want to put in there. But we know that we, we have to put one foot in front of the other. And I'm going to go ahead and say right now. I may fail in this. But I'm going to do my very best to avoid one phrase this morning. I'm going to do my very best this morning to avoid the phrase to just get back to life or just get on with your life. And here's why. Because for those who go through those times, it is not their life the way they remembered it anymore. It is life, but it's not the same life. It's not just getting on with life. And so I I, I may slip and use that phrase this morning. I hope I don't. And so just please take this as an apology if I do. I'm going to do my best this morning instead to simply say putting one foot in front of the other. Because often that's just how it feels. It's as if we just have to lift one foot. And just doing that is so very difficult. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll get to chapter 19 in just a moment. And I appreciate Brighton for reading that passage to all kinds of weird names. everything. <laughs> he has to love me right now. But we're going to get to that chapter in just a moment. But before we get to our text, I want us to I want to make just a brief list with you. Of some reasons why we know it's actually good for us to begin to put one foot in front of the other again when we are in despair. We can say that it helps avoid laziness. Let me just say again, I'm treading on thin ice, I know. I'm not saying that sitting and doing nothing when we're in grief is always a bad thing or that it's lazy. There is a time for that. But we also know that there is a time where we can begin to use that as an excuse to avoid doing things we could do. And we could fall, if we're not careful, into laziness. There are times to sit, but there are also times we can use that as an excuse. It also helps us to avoid bitterness. There is a major difference between hurt and grief and the way the Bible describes bitterness. Bitterness is that thing that that eats away at us within and causes us to, to lead to other sins that are very, very dangerous. Hurt and grief are just fine. They are real. Bitterness is something different. And then also putting one foot in front of the other helps with our health and our our healing we know that eventually taking those steps begins to help not not always makes it easy but begins to help with our relational health, our physical health, our mental health and our healing spiritually as well. I want you to think about Elijah with me this morning and I want you to think with me about how he was one in despair and yet God helped him through that time and maybe this morning in doing this, it will help each of us when we go through a time because we will when we are in despair. In the first place, from first Kings chapter 18, very briefly, let's just notice the prophet's setting. We're not going to take the time to read everything in First Kings eighteen, but if you just let your eyes just kind of roll down through that chapter. You may recall that first Kings chapter eighteen is the chapter where the prophet Elijah wins that amazing conflict, if you will, on Mount Carmel. Really, God wins the conflict. But Elijah is the person through whom it happens. You remember, he has to tell the people of Israel, basically, when are you going to pick a side here? How long will you go limping between two opinions? If Jehovah is the Lord, follow him. But if Baal is the Lord, follow him. And all those false prophets are there. And this deal was struck. Okay, let's set up two altars here. One to Jehovah, one to Baal. Let's put a sacrifice on top of each one, and let's call out to the gods. And whichever one answers that that calling out, whichever one sends forth fire from heaven, that's the real god. Sure, I know it's not done. Say sure, but I'm paraphrasing, okay? And you remember the prophets of Baal go first. And if it wasn't tragic, it would be hilarious, okay? Because for hours. They dance around, they chant, they even cut themselves. They go go through all sorts of of pagan ritual, calling out to Baal, please send forth fire for hours. And Elijah kind of gets into it, do you remember? Elijah begins to kind of taunt them a little bit. Talk louder, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's on a vacation. In fact, one translation, and by the way, the Hebrew actually hints at this, Elijah could have actually been saying maybe he's using the restroom. I call it Old Testament trash talk. That's what he's doing. But of course nothing happens. And then Elijah says, OK, let's set up the altar to Jehovah? The sacrifice is put on. You remember, he even puts water, has water poured on it. Bucket after bucket after bucket. A trench is dug. dug water is put in that. And Elijah prays and calls out to God beautifully. And God sends forth that fire from heaven that doesn't just consume the sacrifice. Do you remember? It consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the altar. It licks up the water out of the trench. I mean, the thing is absolutely gone. And then the people go, oh, Jehovah, he's God. We'll follow him. But the part of the account that we often fail to teach our children, or at least we kind of just skip over, is found all the way down in in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 40. Because in verse 40, we're told that Elijah took those false prophets of Baal to a, to a brook and slaughtered them. It's an odd little addition to the story, is it not? That Elijah, the prophet of God, takes all these prophets, 450 of them, to a brook and slaughters them. And that's what gives us the transition from chapter 18 to chapter 19. Because in chapter 19, we're reintroduced to Queen Jezebel, whose name makes our skin crawl because she is so wicked and so evil. And if you're in First Kings chapter 19, remember that Jezebel was one who worshipped Baal. These were her prophets, if you will, who had been slaughtered. And In First Kings chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, you read these words. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. You paraphrase the message Elijah, that excuse me, Jezebel has sent out. And it basically is saying, Elijah, you've got up to 24 hours to live. Now, Elijah takes that. And it's his reaction to us that will give us our text in a moment. But I want you just to think for a moment about this setting. Elijah had just had what we often call a mountaintop experience. Quite literally, he was on top of Mount Carmel. But even in an emotional or a spiritual way, it was a mountaintop experience as well. He had seen the power of God. He had proven, well, God had proven himself, but using Elijah, he had proven that Jehovah really was the Lord. And now, just what seems like moments later, the rug is just swept out from underneath you. Is that not where despair usually comes from? It may not be from a true mountaintop experience. But it's often when we least expect it that the news comes. And the rug is swept out from underneath us. And that's when we wonder if we can put one foot in front of the other. That's the setting. With that in the back of your mind, turn with me in the second place to the loner's sadness. The next section of this chapter, First Kings chapter 19, is one that a lot of people remember as Elijah is so sad that he even asked God to not let him live. If you're in First Kings 19, notice what verse 4 states. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Some translations have a juniper tree. And he asked that he might die. Saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, before we get to the statement itself, there is one key word in that verse that's very easy to overlook, and it's the word himself. Did you notice back up at the end of verse 3 that we read a few moments ago that Elijah left his servant, and then verse 4 happens? Elijah is by himself. When we are despairing, when we are in grief, there may be a time, especially for certain personality types, guilty is charged, where all we want to be is alone. When I don't feel well, when I have a difficulty in my life, I want to be alone. And it is okay for a while. But for long stretches of time, it can be very, very dangerous. And Elijah seemingly just wants to be completely alone. For what seems to be the rest of his life. Because he wants God to take away his life. But did you notice the phrase he he bases that on? It is enough. You may have never said. You may have never said the second part of that phrase. That Elijah makes to ask God to take away your life. You may have never said anything like that before. But I dare say. That everyone in this room of any age at all has said or thought something like the first part of what Elijah said. It is enough. Can I put it in 2018 language? I've had it. That's all I can take. I've had it up to here. That's the way we might say it. But there are times in our life where because of different varying circumstances, we reach what we often call the breaking point. And sometimes we don't even know how we're going to react in those moments. I remember sometime a while back, a long while back... Lee and I were talking through some difficult frustration. And by the way, no, it's not why she's not here this morning. She's on a good vacation. OK, we were talking to through some difficult frustration, uh, something going on in our life. And I don't know where it came from. I've never done it before and I've never done it since. But all of a sudden I fell over and began crying like a baby. I've never done it before or since. I did not know where it came from. And I don't say that to make myself some tragic hero. I say that to say every one of us has hit those points in our life where we don't even know what was in us. Something just happened. And that sadness, that despair, that overwhelming, whatever words you want to put in there, just hit us in a way that maybe we couldn't even describe or understand. But what, what I what breaks my heart when I read this text is how humid it is. God, it's enough. It's just enough. It's in those times that we don't need to be alone, but we still face the sadness. With that, and where we'll spend most of our time this morning, God through an angel enters the picture and gives the divine suggestions. What do we do? God gives at least four suggestions to the prophet that when we're going through a time of despair, we can do as well. First of all, he says, to take care of your physical self. One of the things I love about this account in Scripture is that, while there is certainly, obviously, a spiritual reality to it. God also focuses on the physical needs of Elijah the prophet. And that begins right at the outset. After Elijah's sad statement, take away my life, the prophet falls asleep. And when he wakes up, an angel tells him to eat. And he's provided both food and water for him at that time. But he, and he does so more than once. In fact, if you read 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 8, it tells us that Elijah was able to go for 40 days in the strength of that food and was provided for in that way. And while I don't like to preach on what the text does not say, I do find it significant that when Elijah lays down to sleep and wakes up again, he's not blasted for having slept. It's okay. That he needed that rest. But do you not find it important that God notices the physical needs of this prophet? Tie that to the life of our Savior. Do you not find it reassuring at times in the accounts of the gospel where you just read phrases like, He was tired, speaking of Jesus. Or, He was hungry. Or, He was thirsty. That reassures us that while He was God with us, He still had that human form that had those physical needs simply because that's part of being in the flesh. But sometimes we're going through a time of despair. One of the things that many people try to do is just push through and not take care of their physical selves. We're not going to be perfectly healthy in those times, of course. But we need to remember that the the statement, the New Testament statement that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit That's an important text to teach our young people to avoid drinking and and smoking and drugs and all that stuff. But it's also an important statement for us to remember at all times in our lives. That we should take care of our physical bodies in all ways, at all times, as best we possibly can. One of the things we can do to get one foot in front of the other again is to do as best we can to take care of our physical selves. Rest as best we can, although it would be difficult. Eat as best we can, although it's not easy all the time. But make certain that we're taking care, because God cares for our physical bodies. But then also, a suggestion is to remember the presence of the Lord. What follows after Elisha makes his way to Mount Horeb is this encounter that Elijah has with the Lord that begins to settle the prophet's spirit. And you may recall that the way God reminds Elijah of his presence is is sort of unique. It's, It's very interesting. It's one of those accounts in Scripture that... I really wish we had a videotape of. And the reason is, I have in my mind what I think this might have looked like, but I'm pretty sure it's not actually what it looked like. First Kings 19, beginning of verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to kill, to take it away. And do you remember at the beginning of verse 18? That God tells them to go stand before the mountain. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind towards the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. I'm told by those who study the Hebrew language that the phrase there for sound of a low whisper literally reads that after the fire, a whisper, a small voice is the way the Hebrew reads. Now, a lot has been, been made of this series of events and whatever it looked like. But considering the setting, don't you find this appropriate? One reason I wanted to go back to chapter 18 to begin the lesson was because now just, what, a few weeks earlier, Elijah had already seen the the over-the-top presence of the Lord. He had seen that fire come down from heaven. He had seen it consume that sacrifice and wood and altar and water and all that stuff. He had seen, he had been reminded of, I should say, that over-the-top power of God. The presence of God in that way. But sometimes that's not what we need. And it's not what he needed right here. Instead, here in his loneliness and sadness and despair... All he needed to know was the low whisper. Was that God was with him. When we are hurting, we need to be reminded of what Paul told the Philippians. The Lord is at hand. Philippians 4 and verse 4. When we're in despair, we need to be of what Jesus said. That should we be faithful, I'll, I'll be with you Always. Even to the end of the world. Matthew 28 and verse 20. When we're hurting. We need to remember the beautiful reminder of the Hebrews writer. Where he has God saying. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. But we also need to remember that Jesus. Did not say I have no burden. I have no yoke. Instead what he said is. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Matthew 11 and verse 30. Remember The presence of the Lord. While we cannot physically touch him or see him or hear, we may not hear that whisper like Elijah did. He's there. And to get one foot in front of the other, we must remember that. But also, God says, to take stock of the present reality. This is one of those sections where I can see myself in Elijah's shoes. And maybe more than anywhere else in this whole narrative, Elijah is struggling, but remember, he doesn't see things the way they really are. Back up in verse 14, he tells or down in verse 14, Excuse me. he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Literally, that phrase, by the way, means the God who marches out for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Now, you look at verse 14 carefully and part of what Elijah says is true. The people of God had not been faithful. That's why the whole thing in 1 Kings 18 happens. That the people are, are trying to decide, should we follow Baal or should we follow God, Jehovah? So the people had been unfaithful. And yes, it is also true they had killed some of the prophets. But it was not true that Elijah was the only one. Sometimes when we are overwhelmed or in despair, we talk about how it's like we're walking around in a fog. We use that phrase a lot. We sometimes say our thinking is clouded. And we understand what we mean when we talk about that. Remember what God told Elijah? God did not completely turn away what Elijah said. God did not say, you know, Elijah, not only are you are wrong, but you're completely wrong. Everything's absolutely fantastic. It's not what he said. But he did remind Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Now, Elijah might have been the only actual prophet. We don't know. Probably wasn't. There were some others who were contemporary with Elijah that may have been, may have been alive and working this time. But even if Elijah was the only prophet though, God was saying, Elijah, you're the only one if you add 6,999 to that. Because there are 7,000 actually who are striving to do what's right here. And so God was able to show Elijah Here is the actual reality. Is it perfect? No, because 7,000 out of the entire population, that's not good. But it's also not one. When we're going through a time of despair, we need people around us who will remind us of what reality actually is, both good and bad. We need them to tell us, here's the difficulty, but also, here's the good. To help us walk through, if you please, that fog That we face. And then number four. God told Elijah to find meaningful meaningful work to do. Not dos. (laughs) To find meaningful work (laughs) to do. Here's where we're going to fill in part of the text we sort of skipped over. Did you notice that God told Elijah to go and do something? Verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Pause right there for a second. Why would he tell him to go there? Because it was closer to home. There, there is a time to get away. And then there's a time we've got to go back. And there's a time we have to face the usual places and routines. But he gives him something to do. You go back to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive... You shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. What's he giving him? What's he telling him? Elijah, you've got work to do. And it's work that matters. Now, you and I read that and we think, yeah, that's easy for for us to look at and say, I'm not going to be anointing any kings anytime soon. Of course, that's meaningful work. It doesn't have to be anything at that level. But there are things we can do that provide meaning to our life, to your life and to mine, to help in those times of despair. For some, and I don't say this with any meaning in any disparaging way at all. I mean it just just as straightforward as I can. For some, it may simply be, notice the quotations, simply be just going back to a normal work day. For some, it may be finding a a ministry, a program at, at here at church to, to work in, in a more deep way. For some, it may be sending cards to someone else or visiting someone else to, to encourage them, and not in a selfish way, but in a real way to encourage us as we do that. But we find meaningful work to do because it begins to to help us in ways we didn't even know we needed helping. Aren't you thankful that God put those things in Scripture? so this is how we begin to put one foot in front of the other. But quickly, before we close this morning, I want to notice one other thing, one other observation from this text that helps us in that process. And that is the helper's shouldering. Read the rest of 1 Kings 19 with me, beginning in verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with a yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him, Elisha, and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what I have done, what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Key phrase is the last sentence. Then he, Elisha, arose and went after Elijah. And assisted him. The old King James says he was ministering to him. The Hebrew word translated assisted or ministered to. It carries with it the idea of just assisting somebody. But also carries the idea of contributing to someone else. Of contributing to them. The idea here is that after Elijah was gone... Elisha would take his place. But that's not what's going on in that last phrase of 1 Kings 19, is it? Because Elijah's not gone yet. Instead, the point here is that Elisha, this younger prophet, this younger man, was able to shoulder the burden of this older man in a way to help him along. And in doing so, he contributed to his life. When you are going through a time when you're down, when you're trying to put one foot in front of the other, you simply cannot do it Alone. Some of us, and I put myself in the camp, as I said, want to be alone. Some of us want to figure everything out on our own. But eventually we figure out we cannot do it all alone. We live in a time where we sometimes talk about people speaking life into another person. And that's good. But at times it takes more than words. But if you're the one who's trying to put one foot in front of the other... You need to be able to allow others to assist you, to contribute to you. By the way, remember that Galatians 6 and verse 10 tells Christians to do good to all, but especially to those who are the household of faith. May I remind you that when you're hurting, if you don't let someone else help you, you're keeping them from following that command, you're keeping them from doing good for you. Let them contribute. To your life, it's one of the great blessings of being a Christian to have a family around us, and those who shoulder that burden bear one another's burdens. That same chapter tells us, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all go through times, and we're down. We all go through those times, when we're in the valley, or we, as we called it this morning, a time of despair. But we, when we do, it's time. It's okay to sit and grieve for a time, to be overwhelmed for a time. But at some point we have to begin to put one foot in front of the other and begin to move forward. And when we do, whether we ever do it perfectly or not, and I'm sure we won't, because at times it feels like we're putting one foot in front of the other and then we take a step back. And at times we feel like, you know, I'm trying to do this and it sure would help if somebody was doing that and people fail at times. We understand that. But it's in those times I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A passage that too often is only read at funerals. When it should be read at any time Christians hurt. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. By God for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort as well I don't know what you specifically are going through this morning I know some people in here are hurting in different ways and that was not the point of this lesson because you could preach a sermon like this at any point in time and someone in the crowd is going to be going through a difficult time so this wasn't picked out just because something or some things is going on It was a lesson I felt was just needed because I'm thankful God's word speaks to these matters. But as we close and extend the Lord's invitation, I don't commend you to Elijah. (laughs) I don't commend you to Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians. I commend you to the God who showed his power on Mount Carmel in fire and showed his presence in a low whisper on Mount Horeb. And who showed his love on Mount Calvary. And this morning, maybe you need to come to him. Maybe you've never followed that one who loves you so much that he would allow his son to die in your place. All he tells us to do is to believe that really happened. That really is what saves us. To turn from the, our former life, our life of sin, to confess that that one that he sent really is His Son, and then to follow His plan to be baptized, that means immersed. Those sins are washed away, taken away. And when that happens, you will know the God of all comfort. Maybe this morning you're here as a Christian. Maybe it's being in despair. Maybe it's just something in your life It's just not right. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's just hurt. Maybe you want us to pray with you for forgiveness, or maybe this morning you want us as God's family just to pray with you for encouragement, for strength, for comfort, for help. I commend you to God, and will you come to Him as we stand and sing to encourage you.